this morning I'm going to be sitting down too, uh, on the on the couch the last day and a half, uh, not not feeling well. So if you'll excuse me as I sit, um, I want you if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter two. We're going to be talking about first. Now remember your first first tooth. Any of you remember your first tooth? Any of you remember your child getting their first tooth? Your first bicycle? Your first car? Your first girlfriend? Your first boyfriend? Your first fill-in-the-blank? On the count of three, I want you to shout out something that was meaningful to you that was your first. One, two, three. All right. Now, um, first... First, well, we're going to be talking about the first baptism. Now, some of you are going to say, oh, whoa, 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 Pastor Greg, you can't go to Acts chapter 2 for the first baptism. You've got to go back to Mark. Remember, Jesus was baptized. That's the first baptism. No, 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 no. We don't go there. You see, that's John's baptism, and John is looking for forward to the cross. He's looking forward to the Messiah. He's preparing the way. And it was a call to repentance, and it was a baptism just by water. But he says, someone's coming. Someone who I don't have the right to even latch their sandal. Someone who's going to baptize with the Spirit. Someone's going to baptize with true repentance. And so we come now to Acts chapter 2. Now we are 50 days out from the crucifixion. 50 days out. Oh my goodness, Jerusalem has been crazy. They, have, they, they are still reeling over the crucifixion. They are still reeling over the resurrection. They're still reeling over the fact that there's 500 people who are running around the city going, hey, we saw Jesus. And then there were those who went to the mountain and they saw Jesus ascend. And then there were those two angels who came back and said, by the way, guys, remember God told you to go to the city. Now go and wait is the other comforters coming and this is the day the comforter comes now in between they've found another disciple to replace Judas Iscariot they have a new disciple so they're they're back to full strength and all of a sudden the spirit descends they are overwhelmed they go out and this is the city of Jerusalem now at Pentecost which is one of the great celebrations of, of the city, and it is filled with people from all over the world. This place is wall-to-wall -wall people from all over the world. And they're all hearing the gospel in their own heart language. Now, how many of you speak more than one language? Any of you? Any of you? A few of you are going, oh, a little bit. I was uh, at Universal Studios uh, in California a few years back. My wife and I somehow, 
found ourselves in the middle of a Japanese tour group. Hundreds and hundreds of Japanese tourists. And they didn't speak a word of English. So I would point at something and laugh. They would hit each other and laugh at whatever I pointed at. They would start laughing. They would hit me. My wife, though, caused quite the scene because we were in a thing called backdraft. And in this, the whole building breaks out into fire. And the, where we were standing falls. And it falls about six inches. My wife was not prepared for that, so she reached out and grabbed this very dignified, well-dressed Japanese man standing in front of her as she screamed. They huddled afterwards. They pointed at us. They said things in Japanese about us that we have no idea what they said. And then they disappeared. They abandoned us. But while we were in the midst of that crowd, it was very apparent that we were not hearing our heart language. There's something about your heart language. You can hear the gospel in other languages, and that's great, and you might be able to speak many languages, and that's wonderful, but there's something about hearing God's truth in your own heart's language. And that's what was happening here. All these people were amazed. They're hearing this amazing truth about Jesus Christ in their own language. Now the religious leaders are overwhelmed. Because not only are these people hearing the gospel in their own language, but they're hearing it with joy. With an overwhelming joy. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Greg? Because of what they're accused of. They're all drunk. What? They're all drunk. Why would they say that? Because the enthusiasm and the joy and the laughter was so great that that's what it felt like. I love it, though. Peter gets up to preach. And he says, first of all, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. It may be 5 o'clock somewhere, but it's not 5 o'clock here. And he preaches a spirit-filled, powerful, word-based message. And you can tell the spirit was behind it and the word of God was behind it because of their response. They respond this way. They say, our hearts are cut. The word cut is literally stabbed with a knife. We would, we would use words like, they have ripped our hearts out. Our hearts are bleeding. You have, you have grabbed us. Our minds are blown. What can we do? And Peter looks at him and says two simple words in the Greek. It's more words in the English, and those, because they're in the English, they've caused some confusion through the years. And 
I wish we had time this morning to go through all what it means, but we don't. Uh, we will probably next year go through it at, at the church as we lead up to this time. But he says two very simple words. He says, repent, be baptized. Repent. Repent. Menemonao. Menemonao. That's beautiful multifaceted word means to have true regret and sorrow, which brings about true change of heart toward God. It is to turn around. It is to make a deliberate choice to turn from something and turn towards something at the same time. I turn from my sin and toward God. I change my mind. The Hebrew word for this is toshuvah, and it means to turn and return. I turn from my sin and return to God. Now the quintessential passage that shares what this really means is Psalm 51. Do you remember David and a lady by the name of Bathsheba? David had seen her uh, getting cleaned up one day. He was on top of the whole area. She was not being inappropriate, but he was. He was at his castle looking down. He looks around and he sees her. He lusts in his heart. He calls her. He has inappropriate relations with her. She says, guess what? I'm going to have a child. And he's going, but you're the wife of my number one soldier. Then he plots the murder of his most loyal man. And then he takes his wife after he kills him. God doesn't ignore sin. So God shows up through the bony old Nathan the prophet and he shows up and says a wonderful story and he gets David very excited and very angry and then he turns and he says, by the way, David, the guy I'm describing is you. And then he takes that long bony finger and he points it at David's nose. And David is crushed. And David writes in Psalm 51, his repentance. Listen to just some of the words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David's heart is broken and he returns to God. Repentance. Our repentance is that which is based upon the call of God and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what brings salvation. 
Baptism does not save you. It is important, but baptism is here for something else. You see, there were two key baptisms. I shared the first, which was John's, which was a public repenting, looking towards the cross. But this is the one looking now back, back at the cross, back at the work of the Messiah. And so Peter is calling for something else. He's pointing through baptism as an outward picture of an inward reality. My repenting of my sin and turning to God. He is calling the listener to repent of their sin and place their hope in Jesus Christ. Repent. Turn to God. Turn to Him. Sometimes people ask me, do we baptize babies and my answer is, here's the answer. Can they repent? Do we baptize children? Again, here's the answer. Can they repent? If a child repents and has a good understanding of what they are doing, then the answer is yes. We baptize them. You're going to see a few children baptized today because they understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to repent. You see, John's baptism was to be a one-time event to show a life change, a significant turning point. And today's baptism is to demonstrate externally what has happened internally and eternally. Those baptized today are saying we have repented from our sins and we have turned from our sins and we have turned toward God. We are brand new. We are now dead to our old life and born into a new one. That is why we are baptized and that is why the church baptized by immersion. You see, the word baptize carries the idea of placing under the water. While it is a living picture of real repentance. You see, today, when they go under the water, it is a picture of them dying to their old life, being buried to their old life, and coming up in a new life to Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Not only that, it's a public declaration. In fact, for Peter, we see here, he's telling these people, these are the people who have just a few days, 50 days before crucified Jesus Christ. Many of them were in the crowd. He's saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to put up or shut up. I want you to step forward and I want you to make public what has happened inside of you. For the Jewish listener, this was going to be serious. You see, some would be excommunicated from their families. Some would lose their jobs. Some would lose their homes. Some would lose their families. Some would lose their lives. You see, Peter was not out to make it easy that day for them. He said, repent, and now put it on the line through baptism. Repent. And now show the world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a Baptist church. And at the end of every service, we would have altar call. And they would begin playing a song, and, and the pastor would say, first, if you'd like to ask Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we would walk the aisle and then he would say, if you want to be baptized, we would walk the aisle. If you want to become a church member, you would walk the aisle. If you want to wash out uh, you know, the, the carpet next Thursday, we would walk the aisle. That was just how we did it. 
But you know, the early church didn't know anything about altar calls. Their altar call was baptism. For baptism was the public display, the public declaration that they were followers of Jesus Christ. That they were people who had been changed by God and were going to follow and serve Him. And so today, we, 2,000 years later, are going to have people come forward. People come forward and say, yes, I have repented. Yes, I want the world to know that I am publicly going to follow Jesus Christ. I am going to be a follower of God. I'm going to belong to Him. That's what we're going to do today. Amen.